Good day to you. Greetings to my friends at, at 33rd for the women there. Um, know that, uh, that um, we, we love you and we pray for you often. Uh, for the guys in, in Genesis uh, building, uh, it's great to be with you most every week. And I look forward to being with you um, next week and know that, that, that we are for you and we're proud um, to be a part of the church uh, with you. Uh, to the folks at, at Waterford, greetings to you. Happy New Year. Lake Mary, hello. Greetings to you. I'll be there uh, next week and look forward immensely to all the hugs and intentional eye contact uh, that comes with that. And Happy New Year uh, to all of you. How's your year going so far? How are you doing in the year? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, I, the year is going very well for me. I got my Christmas shoes, which, yeah, thanks. Um, I'm, I'm really... Uh, the, the shoes thing is, has been a, um, a collusion between, uh, between Brandy, uh, my, my lovely wife, and her mother uh, to make me look respectable uh, over the years. And so every year they make a new effort in, in new shoes. And I assume since it's shoes, the idea is draw the focus away from my face as much as possible. Uh, but whatever it is, the, <laughs> the shoes are comfortable. Uh, so, so I'll wear them. Uh, I got a new backpack uh, for Christmas, which, uh, which was much needed, not because my old one was old and broke, though it was, um, but because a recently deceased zombie cat uh, decided that my backpack was its preferred uh, place to spend uh, most of her final days, and, uh, and as she, uh, you know, turned more and more into a zombie, the backpack smelled more and more of truck stop urinal and, uh, and degradation and all of it. Yeah, so new backpack, good for everyone, and in an interesting uh, turn of events that would just bring so much sorrow into a 10-year-old version of me, I was actually genuinely pleased uh, to receive like a new, you know, like general pack of like uh, Hanes undershirts uh, for like the five pack. And I was like, this is great. And I really, fully knowing uh, that the 10-year-old version of me, who every time when you're asked, you know, when you're young, what do you want for Christmas? Um, you know that none of your wants intersect with your needs. Uh, and when you get something you need uh, for Christmas, you can be sure it's something you don't want. And so socks or undershirts were never welcomed as a child. But for me now, in this stage of life, wants and needs have nicely intersected, uh, at least in the, in the area of T-shirts. For me, I, I love Christmas, uh, despite uh, despite the the, the the you know the Scrooge rumors uh, that spread about me um, leading up to Christmas. I love Christmas, and I'm especially glad uh, when it's over. And not because uh, not because I don't like uh, I don't like the spiritual aspects of it and, and, and celebrating and remembering uh, the 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 schism in all of human history that that, that happened when Jesus. Um, God made flesh entered our world. Um, and not because uh, I don't like all the trimmings by marriage. Uh, I love all of them immensely to the extent Brandy and I are one person. Uh, I love them completely. Uh, and, uh, and I love putting them away um, when we're done. I love all the visiting with family and I really do very much appreciate um, how relaxing uh, that time is and how fun it is to reconnect. But man, as soon, uh, as, soon as that stuff's done, um, the, the, like the decor's coming down and I'm getting ready uh, for the new year because that's really um, really what I'm looking forward to in, in the season. When we got home from our, our last visit with family post-Christmas, um, Brandy went to the store to do grocery shopping and I was like, now's the time. And I started taking down all the lights on the outside of the house. We left everything on the inside of the house till the obligatory uh, New Year's Day, um, packing it all up. Um, but I love, uh, I love the, the threshold that is marked um, by New Year's. Um, the opportunity to reflect on the year gone by and the opportunity 
uh, to look forward uh, to the year ahead. And this year's reflection was, was, was opportunity was, was different uh, than, than in other years, um, partly because we're very busy in, in the tweener week between Christmas and, and New Year's, um, but also because uh, Brandy and I attended our, our first ever watch night service. And I don't know if, if any of you are familiar um, with, with what a watch night service is, and in particular what it is in the African-American church tradition. Uh, but uh, my friend Sylvester was telling me uh, earlier last year um, that, that for their church, uh, the watch night service is, is the big deal. Christmas Eve services and all of that are fine. But, but for them, the equivalent of our Christmas Eve service is, is the watch night service. And he said, uh, he said culturally, the roots of watch night uh, date back uh, to New Year's Eve, 1862, the, the evening before the Emancipation Proclamation went into effect in the beginning of 1863. And, uh, and in anticipation of that, um, African Americans, both North and South, um, gathered and, and ushered in um, the, the, the new year, the, the, the era of freedom in, uh, in, in churches, in prayer and preparation um, for that, and it has become a, uh, a tradition, at least in Sylvester's church, um, that, is, that is strongly held and is one of their most, most cherished services. And so, uh, so Brandy and I uh, attended the service. I texted uh, Sylvester a few months after he told me about watch night service, and I was like, are white people allowed to go to watch night services? <laughs> and he's like, yes. Uh, and so, so we showed up. It was, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, didn't, I certainly didn't want to show, show up somewhere where I wasn't invited. And so we showed up, and it was, it was, it was really meaningful. It was meaningful because, uh, in part because the woman who was emceeing uh, most of the services, and it was, a small, um, it was a small gathering of folks who know each other well, um, she listed, you know, she, she started off saying, we have, we have so much uh, to be grateful for, so many things to be grateful for. Uh, and, then, and then she went on to list um, all of the things that we wouldn't normally be grateful for. And these weren't just generic like hypotheticals. She was talking to the people she knew. She was talking about how people have, uh, you know, have have had broken relationships in the last year, who have, who who didn't get the promotion um, they wanted, who uh, who had lost someone that they loved, all of those things. And she said, "But we're still here, and our God is still good, and there's a lot to be grateful for, and we can look forward um, to the year of our freedom, to the year ahead where God will open doors and opportunity for us." And it was a really meaningful backdrop um, for us, uh, for me, to have to reflect um, on the year gone by and to look to the year ahead. And for me, my reflections on, on the year gone by um, immediately root themselves in, uh, in the things that are, that are most central to my life. My, my wife, Brandy, who I love dearly, this year will mark uh, 20 years of marital bliss uh, for us. And so, uh, so that's awesome. We look forward to at least, I don't know, 60 more? I don't know, I didn't do the math on that. A lot more. And, uh, and, uh, and, I, and I think about our kids who are awesome. Uh, five of our six kids, are teenagers, and so awesome means a whole different thing now uh, than it did when they were young, and, and our life goes at such a, a diverse and furious pace uh, that it's often easy in the everyday to, to forget how grateful we are for our kids. So having time uh, to remember um, how blessed we are um, to be in the, in the lives of our children. And, uh, and any reflections on what I'm grateful for always take me to our church, to this community to the opportunity uh, that I have and the privilege that Brandy and I have had over the last 16 and a half years um, to be a part of this church, to see the story of, uh, of, uh, of God's grace and his goodness and his good purposes being lived out, and to be a part of this story through, through, through seasons of, uh, of wild uncertainty, of wild growth, of, of, of unwanted and unthinkable loss and pain, 
to be uh, to, to 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 find friends that I never thought I would have or need, to be able to uh, to do life in, in in a community with people who would give sacrificially um, to the work of God, and not just financially, although although that's certainly evident. Even just looking uh, at, at the at the Christmas offering, I mean that was. That was astounding. It was so fun for me on, on Christmas Day to text Shiro and be like, I think you need to be sitting down. I'm about to tell you, you know, how much the Christmas offering is for. And it's so incredible um, to be able to far exceed um, what, we, what we hoped we could do uh, to further the ministry of One Lamb. And the fact that not only that, but we ended um, across all campuses of Summit ahead and budget for the year. Like, that, that's because... The people who own this community, who say, I'm going to partner in the ministry of, uh, of Jesus in this church, they do so with, with intentionality, with purpose, with meaning. And I'm humbled, I'm honored and humbled uh, to be a servant in this church and to be a part of this community. To continue to build, uh, to build the church and to live out the vision that God has called us to live. And if you're not aware of what our vision is, uh, since New Year, uh, I, sh- I should tell you what our vision is so that you can know what you're being invited into as we engage in ministry in the year ahead. Our vision as a church is to build biblically functioning communities that reach lost people, connect in Christ-centered relationships, teach truth, serve others, and worship God. To build biblically functioning communities that reach lost people, connect in Christ-centered relationships, teach truth, serve others, and worship God. That's what we're about as a church. That's what we believe every church that is truly uh, the, the church that Jesus intended is about. That's what we've been about since the beginning. That's what we'll be about moving forward. And for me, the, what, what, I, what I love and enjoy and appreciate about Summit isn't just the nostalgia. Isn't that God has been good uh, to do those things um, through, uh, through our church in the years thus far, but the fact that the story is not yet done being told, that we are still in the process of becoming. Becoming the church that he wants us to be. I get fired up and excited, as much as I can express it, about, about all that God has done and all he can and will do through us in the years ahead. There's, there's a, a, a duality that, that exists, I think, in our church uh, community and all of our lives uh, that, that, is, that is both the, sta- the state of being um, that we're in and the process of becoming who we will be, who we ought to be, who we should be the state of being that we're in, the things that are, that are most true about us now. When we reflect on the year gone by, when we reflect uh, on God's work in our life, when we reflect on what he has done, we can get glimpses, oftentimes, uh, of what is most true about us now. And as we do that, we can also look forward and consider, what are we becoming? Not just what are we now, but what are we becoming? What are we called to be? What should we be? What do our hearts yearn to be? One of the things I, I love about being one of the volunteers on, on, our, on Team 33rd, the team that, that, that leads in the campus uh, we have in Orange County Jail, is that every week um, that, that I, I have the opportunity to go in and, and MC the service, one of the things that we make sure uh, to remind folks of is, is, is that their state of being, the who they are, what is most true about them, is not defined by the limitations, the boundaries of their circumstances. It's not defined by, by the perceptions uh, people have about them. It's not limited uh, to the things that they've done right or wrong or, 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 or the things that have been done to them that are right or wrong. That we're never outside the bounds of being loved by God. 
Because ultimately when we talk about what is most true about us, what is our true state of being, it is that we are loved by our creator. And not only are we loved by our creator, but we are valuable to him. We are valuable to him. And I find as I, as, as I share that message, as I remind a room full of people who, if, if they were just identifying their being, their state of being by their circumstances and by how others view them, they could think uh, that, that, that they are unloved, that they are forgotten, that they are unwanted and unvaluable. And to be able to remind them of that every week reminds me that we all need to hear that from time to time. We all need to remember that our state of being, that what is most true about us, is not assigned by our circumstances, not assigned by our successes, not assigned by our relationships, our failures, anything like that. It's a status assigned by our Creator, one that says, I love you and you're valuable to me. And when we understand that, when we understand who we are, our state of being as it is, then the idea of becoming takes on a whole new meaning. Because if we settle for a lesser, uh, a lesser state of being in who we are now, a lesser standard of what we are now, then, then the idea of becoming can oftentimes look, look like a dead end or a cliff. But when we understand that we're loved by our creator, when we understand that we're valuable to him, so valuable in fact that we are invited to be a part of his good work in the world, his redemptive work in the world. When we remember that that is our being, then the idea of becoming is a beautiful thing. Because it's, it's the idea of becoming who we are, who we were meant to be, what our hearts yearn to be. The idea of becoming who we are intended to be gives us a picture of where we're going in life, what we can aspire to, how we can work towards it. It, proved, it, it, it helps us move towards that picture. Just as in that wash night service, it wasn't just a reflection on, on God's goodness in, in the pains and sufferings and trials of the past, but it was an expectation and an anticipation of a new season, a, a, of a new state of being that would, be, um, that would be part of what we were coming, a becoming of what we are intended to be. For me, thus enters New Year's resolutions the things that help move us towards that picture. Now, I don't want to lose you uh, if you're not a New Year's resolution person. I surveyed our staff to see you know, what, what people feel about New Year's resolutions, and there's a number of conscientious uh, objectors uh, to New Year's resolutions, but I would contend that we all make resolutions. Now, whether or not they're in the new year or, or updated weekly or daily or monthly or, or whatever it might be, and we, we all make resolutions. We all move uh, toward, towards a picture of a, prefer, a preferred, per, uh, preferred future, something... Um, that, that we hope uh, will be a part of who we are in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. I'm a big New Year's resolutions person. I'm a resolutions person uh, uh, of any type. I've found uh, that, that when I resolve nothing, I accomplish only that. And so for me to have, to have resolutions is a big deal. So that's part of the reason I, I look forward to the new year, because it's a good time, um, even if it's somewhat arbitrary, um, to, to, to intentionally move towards a picture of what I'm becoming and, and, and what I hope um, God will do in and through my life in the coming years. Now, you, you know all this, uh, what the common um, resolutions are. Eat healthy, exercise, manage money better, be, be, be a better person. When I was researching, like, what are the most common resolutions? Be a better person in the most general sense uh, was one of them. And I was like, well, that's a good one. Like, we, I think we all want to be that. Uh, I don't think anyone would resolve not to be that. Um, but if they do, they're welcome here. And, uh, and then interestingly, um, 
like reduction of screen time and, and, and separation from technology is really rising on the list uh, of New Year's resolutions. Um, it's not, maybe not the top, but it's really rising on the list. And uh, Brandy and I were noting uh, that it was really funny in all the news and commercials uh, in the first couple days of the year, there's all kinds of technology now that will help us take a break from technology and all kinds of screen time options that will help us take a break, break from screen time. And I think it's hilarious and ironic. Uh, but whatever the case, um, I, I'm subject to, to many of those same um, resolutions. Our, our, our staff, when I surveyed them, uh, a lot of it was the same, the idea of being healthier uh, and, uh, and, um, and living more intentionally and saving, being wiser stewards, all of that stuff. Basically, to be better and do better. I mean, that's, that's what resolutions basically are about, is us trying to be better and do better. Now, I want to talk about, uh, 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 about what's at the heart of resolutions because I have resolutions uh, for us um, as a church. And, uh, and, I want, and I want us to understand uh, what they are and what, a re- what, what it means when we resolve to do something um, because I think it is important for us in how we live out the vision in the coming years. Resolutions are not about becoming a, a, a wholesale different uh, entity than we are now. When we resolve something, we, we, are, we are resolving to change the things that we can change, to impact the things that we can impact. Only in small children uh, do, do resolutions take on an entirely other aspect. In my, in my survey of staff, I also surveyed uh, their children who are willing, and it turns out three-year-olds, uh, resolutions can be like, I will be a unicorn uh, or a superhero <laughs> and things like that. As you get older, those, those resolutions take on a more realistic aspect. They're more, they're more a reflection of the things uh, that we want to learn, do accomplish all of that. Uh, Brandon, Brandon, our youngest, uh, is is ten years old. Uh, he's kind of the 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 one um, outlier in our in our family in terms of age. And his first resolution, as we were talking about as a family, his first resolution uh, was to learn to play the ukulele. And I thought that was really good. Uh, we are all so for it because uh, he's had a ukulele for a year and uh, and he hasn't yet learned to play it. But that doesn't stop him. Uh, from strumming it, and so we're we're all really excited for him to to learn that. But his resolutions have have moved from absurd to possible, and in our case, uh, really hopeful uh, that he will learn that. <laughs> At its heart, resolutions are about affecting change where we can, recognizing the place uh, where where we need to adjust course for the things that we cannot influence. Recognizing the dynamics of a changing world, changing circumstances, changing relationships, changing culture, all of that. And, 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 then, uh, and then figuring out how do we move towards that preferred picture of who we are becoming. Again, recognizing who we are, a state of being, as being loved and cherished and valuable children of God. How do we move towards, towards that reality living in its fullest possible expression this, this side of eternity? Ultimately, resolutions, when we resolve something, it's about stewardship. Stewardship of our time, our bodies, our opportunities, our relationships, our abilities, our minds, our spirits. Resolving to good things, to becoming who we are. It's a good thing for us as individuals. It is wide stewardship. And just as it's good for us, however you do it, whether or not it's on birthdays or anniversaries or, or, or arbitrarily, however, uh, ho- however it is good for us to resolve, to move towards the picture of who we're becoming, to, to, to do the things we can do to be the people that God is calling us to be. However good that is for us as individuals, it is so good for us as a community as well, as a church. 
to remember who we are in Christ, what it means for us as the church to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be the bride of Christ, to be chosen for a purpose, to have good works set out in advance for us to do, to be members of his family, to understand our state of being as a church, fully empowered by by the authority of Jesus to live out his purposes in the world, having full access to the grace that became available to us on the cross, and then moving with intentionality towards what we are becoming as a church, to the fullest possible expression of that, the fullest possible expression of what it looks like to be the bride of Christ, what it looks like to be the hands and feet tangibly in the world around us, what it looks like to, to... to to be and reflect the family of God for the world to see. The roots of our vision are are, are very much in the vein uh, of who we are becoming. They're action-oriented. The roots of our vision um, are are derived in in, in two of the most most inviting and inspiring action statements that Jesus made (laughs) Um, in, in his ministry. The first uh, is generally known as the Great Commandment. Um, you can find it uh, in, in Matthew chapter 22. And Jesus was responding to an inquiry uh, where, where someone was saying, you know, what, if you were to take all the law, all of these laws and all of the expectations and requirements of it and, and, and sum it up for us, what is the most important in the law? And Jesus replied to that inquiry, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. When you get to the heart of what Jesus calls his people to be, of what God calls his people to be, is to be those who love him and love others. It's an invitation to action. The second text that, that from which our, in which our vision is rooted is called the Great Commission. Um, it's later in the, in the book of Matthew. It's at, at the end. It's Jesus' final words, final marching orders uh, to his disciples. Between uh, his death and resurrection, his ascension into heaven, he, he sat down with his disciples and gave them the instructions uh, that, that would guide them um, as the first expression of the church in his absence, has guided churches in the 2,000 years since, guides us as a church, and will continue to do so until Jesus returns. He said to them, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The roots of our vision, the heart of our vision, is a call to action, is a reminder that we, are, that, we are, that we are not only called to be, to be the hands and feet of Christ, to be the bride of Christ, but we are called to become, to become more of that for the sake of a world that desperately needs it. And so we resolve to do that. We resolve to not settle for enough is enough. Good enough is good enough. We resolve to remember that every bit of our vision, every bit of what it means to to reach lost people, to connect in Christ-centered relationships, to teach truth, to serve others, to worship God, every bit of that, as good as God has been, every bit of that is fully available to us in the future. 
to engage in with intentionality and purpose, to do the things that we can do, and to, and to be honest about the things that we cannot change so that we can be better and more, uh, and more effective at living out the vision. For us to resolve to live out the vision may look different in some ways in the years ahead um, than it has in the years past, um, but it is, it is the heart of becoming who God is creating us to be. For us to resolve to live out the vision means we never stop reaching. We never stop caring about people who are far from God. We never stop remembering that there are people who, when they, when they think uh, of their state of being, it can only be defined uh, by, by their circumstances, by their relationships, by their accomplishments, or by their failures, because they don't understand that, they, that, that in the eyes of God, they are loved and valuable and cherished. They're lost from that knowledge, and so they're lost in life, and so and their picture of becoming, of what they're becoming, misses the opportunity to recognize that God made them for great things, and he wants to bring great things out of them and has only good for them, uh, even in the midst of the brokenness of this world. And if we stop caring about that, we're missing the heart of God for this world. We're missing the heart of God for this church. And we live in a city, in, in, in a community that's ripe with opportunity. Last year, Barna Research indicated that, that, that the Orlando area, the greater Orlando area, is, is ranked in, in the top 10 for both uh, de-churched and, and unchurched cities, communities in the U.S. We have a lifetime's worth of opportunity to remind people that they matter to God, to remind people that he cares about them and loves them. And so for us, we, we, we ought to resolve every moment we feel the resolve uh, diminishing. We ought to resolve ourselves to continue to live for the people and to reach for and work for and love the people who are far from God so that they can know how much they're loved by him. For us to resolve to live out the vision means for us to resolve to continue to engage in Christ-centered community and in the years ahead to be very certain that as we build Christ-centered community, we're not accidentally building, uh, building preference or affinity-centered community only. That we are intentionally keeping a picture of what does the kingdom of God look like, and what did the early church look like, and what does our community look like in terms of, in, in, in terms of age, in terms of demographic, in terms of economics, in terms of ethnicity. The church, in, in its earliest form, was wildly diverse, and it was the biggest challenge they faced. It's the biggest challenge the church faces today as well. And if we are not being intentional and purposeful in reflecting in our community, in this community, what the kingdom of God will look like and what the world around us looks like, then we're missing an opportunity to be a light in the world around us. In John chapter 13, uh, Jesus speaking uh, to, his, uh, to his disciples and followers says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Now, the idea of love, the command to love, was not what was new in this command. What was new was the context. The fact, the reality, that in Christ, all of the things that would separate us are, 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 are disappeared. That, 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 that in Christ and in the church... Every boundary, everything that, that would put us above or below or away um, from other people is taken away. And in that, as we learn to love each other, despite our differences, despite, uh, despite it all, the world can see something amazing. As we love each other, the world will take note. 
By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. We ought to be that type of community. Not just for those who are already included, for those of us who are already apart, but for those who God will bring. And we should be intentional in making sure that we, that, that we live that out in, in the broader community uh, uh, of the church and in the, in, in the communities around our, around our dinner tables, in the communities around our Bible studies, in the communities around our mom's group, etc. And for us to resolve to live out the vision in the coming years, it means that we commit to continuing to pursue truth and to live truth in our lives. This year, we're going to be spending a lot of time exploring uh, the, the idea of, of kingdom, kingdom citizenship. What does it mean for us to, to see ourselves, to live our lives first as citizens of the kingdom of God? How does that truth permeate our actions and our perspective, the way we interact with the world? Not so that we stand in conflict with the world, but so that the, the, the kingdom of God lived out in us stands in a beautiful contrast to the, to, to the brokenness in the world around us. And for us to resolve to live out the vision in the coming years means that we, become, we, we double down on intentionality and in how we serve, in particular, locally. We're going to talk a lot next week about, uh, about what local service will look like uh, in, in the coming years, um, but we're going to be focused uh, on, on actually making a change for the most vulnerable children in our city. And in doing so will take us into the foster care system, it'll take us into the school system, but I truly believe, I truly believe that if we give ourselves to, to, to God's good purposes and humble acts of service for those who are most vulnerable in our city, we'll actually see a change. We'll actually see light in darkness. We'll actually see hope in broken circumstances. And ultimately, as we do that, as we resolve to do those things and be those things, we become what we were meant to be. We become truer worshipers of God. Because for us, worship isn't, some, isn't simply the things that we say or the, or, or the songs that we sing. It's the life that we are called to the life that we were made for. We were hardwired, whether we know it or not, whether we like it or not, to be worshipers. And as we do the things that God has called us to be, as we, as we build the community that he has called us to build, we'll become the people he's called us to be. And ultimately, all of that will be for God's glory, not our own. Now, here's the kicker. All of that, all of what we resolve to as a church, none of it matters. None of it matters for squat if we're not likewise resolved as individuals. Because the church is not an entity, it's not an organization. The church is a community of people. It's everyone in this room who, who, who bears the name of Christ. We're the church, and if we don't resolve ourselves, if we don't, if we don't aspire to something greater than weight loss, exercise, and less screen time, if we don't commit ourselves to something bigger and more beautiful in our lives, then we miss this opportunity in our lives and for our church. So today isn't just about telling you where we're going as a church. It's about inviting you in. It's about inviting you to be a stakeholder in the vision of Summit. Inviting you to care. Care about the people who are far from God in your life. Inviting you to connect in the beautiful and challenging and subversive and incredibly attractive kingdom way so that the community around you says something about the character of God to the world around, a world that's looking for hope and brokenness.
Today is about inviting you to live in the truth of your citizenship. Being mindful that how you live your life, whether or not you live your life first as a citizen of this world or as a citizen of the kingdom of God, matters. It matters for you. It matters for those you love. It matters for the world. Inviting you to serve in big and bold and scary ways, ways you may not even be able to think about right now, but that will bring about actual change in our city and our world. And inviting you to do it all, not for your glory, not for this church's glory, but for the glory of God. To be a part of a community of worshipers who worship not only with our words, but with our whole lives. To live into who we are becoming. To remember that our, that our status, our state of being is, is, um, is signed and insured by God, by his grace, by his promise. And we can live towards that every day of our life. And it'll cost us. It'll cost us, if you, if you accept the invitation, it'll cost you comfort, convenience. It'll cost the possibility of, uh, of apathy or ignorance to the, to the needs and brokenness in the world around you. It'll cost you resources. It'll cost you time. But what you gain is so worth it. What you gain is steps, intentional, resolute steps towards who you were made to be. And it matters for the world, too. The world needs you to care. The world needs a different picture of life different picture of hope. The world needs the freedom that comes from truth and the knowledge that the truest things about themselves are found in Christ. The world needs healing and comfort and broken circumstances in the world because we're all wired to worship. Needs to worship something that matters more than anything the world has to offer. The invitation stands. We'll be talking about how we serve in the coming years, and we'll be living, or in, in the, in next week, uh, we'll be talking about how we serve, and we'll be living this out in the coming weeks, and know that you are invited. Every week, every moment, every day. You're invited to step further into who you're becoming as a part uh, of this church family. My hope is that you'll accept the invitation, that you'll embrace the adventure that comes as we resolve together to become more of the church that God is making us to be. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are grateful that in your eyes we matter. That what's truest about us is given to us by you. That we're valuable, that we're loved by you. That you invite us into your good purposes for our lives and through our lives. We're grateful that you don't leave us on the sidelines, no matter how we've messed up or what we've done um, to, to, to discredit ourselves and even to discredit your good name. You always invite us back. You always invite us in. That we are always invited to become who we truly are, to become more of who you're making us to be. I pray that you'll give me and every person in these rooms the courage to do so in the days and weeks and months ahead. Help us resolve by the power of your grace, to follow you. To follow you boldly into the season ahead, to live as a church that truly is the hands and feet of Christ, the bride of Christ, the center of your family for the world around us, for those who are included and those who are yet to be a part of the vision that you've called us to. We pray this all in your holy and precious name. Amen.